We begin with team coverage this hour across Israel. Aaron Burnett in Tel Aviv starts our coverage off. Aaron, that's quite a claim by President Herzog. What are the implications? Well, the implications, obviously, are significant. Now, let's just go through exactly what they say they found, Poppy. They say they found a USB on one of the Hamas militants involved in the attacks. And on that USB, there was information from what had been an Al-Qaeda 2003 operational manual, which included a page of instructions on how to assemble a, a cyanide chemical weapon and how to disperse it with crude drawings. That's what they're saying. They are, however, clear that there was no indications, uh, at least we've received no indication from the Israeli government, that there were any plans to deploy such a weapon. It's just that it was on that USB. But we do know that there were battle plans found on operatives as well. We've seen those ourselves uh, that go through each of the kibbutzim which were attacked, street by street, where every camera was, every generator was, an incredible amount of detailed information. And on those plans, we do know, talking to security at, at at least one kibbutz, that they followed those to the T and went item by item by item. So the significance of the chemical weapons cannot be, uh, you know, we can't miss that. But there is no indication as of yet that there was any plan to use any such weapon. Aaron, the barrage of airstrikes overnight, I believe 320 targets is what the IDF is saying. What are you seeing and hearing this morning? All right, so 320 airstrikes, they give out numbers most days. So just over two days that you're running at a 500 strike over 48 hour period. That gives you a sense of what's happening in Gaza. Now, the, the Palestinian uh, health authority there is saying that, for example, near Rafah, the border crossing, that there were four strikes there in individual homes and that 29 people were killed. That's what they say, impossible to verify. Uh, but it does speak to something both sides are actually agreeing on, even if not explicitly, which is that the Israeli strikes are extremely targeted. Uh, so targeting specific homes where they th believe that there are links to uh, to Hamas uh, militants. Uh, they're also talking about Islamic Jihad. Israel is that they are including Palestinian Islamic Jihad targets as legitimate in Gaza in addition to Hamas themselves. This morning, uh, and we'll get to Nick in a moment to hear more, there have been days where we have heard that assault, even from Tel Aviv. Certainly when we're closer in Ashkelon, we hear the back and forth. You can hear artillery. Here we do hear often the thuds of those bombs. And it has been very quiet today. It has been very quiet yesterday, at least uh, from, from where we're standing at the beginning. Uh, two weeks ago when I was here, it was a constant thud uh, that you could actually physically feel through your body throughout the day. We are not hearing that. Uh, so that is, is different. And there are those thousands of troops massed along the border waiting for the green light to go in, all up and uh, along that 25-mile-long border. Israeli officials, of course, have been warning about this for days. But the question now remains, when exactly it will happen. And we do understand uh, that the Prime Minister Netanyahu obviously has been presented with many possible operations that he could green light, they could go on. So so we'll see whether this wait indicates a shift in his decision-making on what going in entails. Nick Robertson, as Phil said, is in Starot, Israel. And Nick, what are you seeing where you are this morning? Yeah, uh, by far the heaviest amount of airstrikes that we've witnessed here in the past two weeks. Overnight last night, the late uh, evening hours into the early morning hours, really heavy bombardment shaking this house, the most sustained amount of uh, missiles and artillery that, that we've experienced here. And we've been, in, been here for two weeks. Um, today, as you say, much quieter. Uh, we hear drones in the sky, but no sounds of impacts here in northern Gaza. Uh, and 
one of the things that we're hearing as well is the reason that the government here is so, Prime Minister Netanyahu's government, is so concerned about humanitarian pauses. They think that that will be used by Hamas to gain an advantage, to alleviate some of the pressure that they're facing at the moment, and this pressure designed to help uh, move along hostage releases. Talking to some of the troops who are close to the front here, they talk about, you know, being told to be ready for action and then action not coming and sort of stood up, stood down. But speaking to past veterans of wars here, they say, look, we've been through this here before. We can stay out uh, and do this uh, in the field uh, as long as we like. But when you look at the troops arrayed in the front lines close to Gaza, that's a force waiting to go. Bristling with battle-ready troops, farmers' fields north of Gaza churn with the controlled fury of a nation readying for an incursion to strike Hamas. Yet they are waiting with no explanation why. It feels like the early rush for battle readiness has passed. The troops are deployed, standing by. The question is, how long can they be kept out here? According to former IDF General Israel Ziv, as long as is needed, there are military gains. We are now improving our intelligence and our uh, capacity of targets. But the political calculation here is more complicated. I think both in Washington and in Jerusalem, they understand that the legitimation, legitimization window is closing quickly. Civilian losses in Gaza are growing, more than a third of them children, according to Palestinian health officials. Lengthy negotiations have led to two American hostages released as a tiny amount of humanitarian aid has crossed into Gaza that Israel fears ends up in Hamas's hands. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's calculus of when to send in ground troops has never been so fraught under pressure from the White House for more hostage releases. Netanyahu is in real problem. He, is, he, he cannot say no to Biden, but he cannot say yes to the, to the humanitarian aid that drifts into northern Gaza. But he is also under pressure at home too. Military and others hawkish for a decisive blow against Hamas. We are finishing preparing, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the ground force uh, because we've changed plans. Uh, we are going to uh, for heavy manoeuvring. Netanyahu's dilemma compounded by his dependence on American weapons. The pressure is from Washington is, is real. It's real and strong and uh, the prime minister says many times to his uh, ministers, listen, we are getting from the United States more than you know. Where less than a week ago, these fields were teeming with tanks, troops making last minute repairs. Today, there are just tracks in the sand. There's a soldier's jacket here, bread in a bag on the table. The question is, where have all the tanks gone? Forward for an incursion or back to base for a pause? 
close to the front line in Gaza these days. More questions than answers. An incursion still highly probable. But when? And while we've just been standing here over the last few minutes, we've heard small arms fire, gunfire coming from uh, this direction over here, which is the direction towards the border. And from here, we can't tell what is actually happening there, but I think it's indicative of the tensions along the border fence at the moment. Nick, absolutely. And, but here's the thing. I know you're saying that troops are telling you they can wait indefinitely, and, and I would expect them, you know, you'd expect them to say that, regardless of the situation. But this reporting that the U.S. is exerting pressure on Netanyahu to wait, obviously that, that makes a lot of sense. But how long can he wait? And does Netanyahu lose his position of sort of strength and authority by appearing to cave to U.S. interests on the timing of what he does? Um, you know, I think that part of the calculus for Prime Minister Netanyahu will be what do his enemies in the region perceive if the United States and the international community is able to tell Israel not to go out after Hamas, then for, for many Israelis that's going to ultimately look like a sign of weakness. And, and, and the calculus will be, well, what will Hezbollah do knowing that, knowing uh, that, that they are potentially about and have threatened to launch attacks against Israel on that scale if, uh, if the IDF goes into Gaza. So I think that all becomes part of the calculus. The calculus that Israelis themselves genuinely don't feel safe after those barbaric attacks by Hamas uh, more than two weeks ago. All that's part of the calculus. Look, I think it can hold back for a while, but I think everyone's poised. There's an expectation. Um, but, it's, but I think it then becomes a question what precisely is the, the incursion going to do? Uh, how big will it be? How many civilians yeah. will be in, in the way of that incursion? Um, you know, I think, you know, those, yeah. are, th those are the points. But when it comes back to how long can they wait, one veteran of the 1967 war, uh, the Arab-Israeli war back then said, look, we were held out in the desert for, for a month. And what we did was we trained and we practiced. And he said, actually, that worked to our advantage. So I think the psyche here, it's not just soldiers will tell you what they think you want to hear and what their commanders want you to hear. Um, you know, I think the psyche is yeah. what it takes will do.